You may be seated. Um, several ways for you to give. You can text to give. You can uh, download our app and give in that way, or you can write checks and mail them to our post office box. You see all those things on the screen? Awesome. All right, I'm going to ask uh, Mike and Aaron Thomas to come up here and join me for a moment. Yeah. Grab that right there, yeah. Super. Green means go. There we go, it'll come in a minute. Perfect. All right. All right, here we are. So, uh, as you know, Mike and Aaron and their family, beautiful group of boys over there, um, been preparing to go to Scotland uh, to join forces with Tom and Leanne Fraley over there. And they've been fundraising. I can't think of a worse time to try to fundraise than COVID. But guys, God is so good. These, these guys have just knocked it out of the park. They've killed it. God has been so faithful. So tell them a little bit about where you are and what you need and what we can do. Yeah, yeah. You really hit the nail on the head, Tom, about God's faithfulness. And I'll just push all of your praise towards us back to him. Um, so quick update of really a testimony of God's goodness towards us in this time. Um, so in, in February, we were probably had around 50% of our monthly budget needs met at that point in time. And uh, in the middle of my quiet time, one morning, God began to tell me it was time for me to leave my job. And I'm like, okay, it's time. Let's, we've got to do this. And um, had to talk Aaron into it a little bit, I think, as well, as well as myself. <laughs> and then um, at the end of February, um, our house sold. And that's, in my opinion, pretty remarkable because at that point in time, it wasn't even listed on the market. Wow. So the Lord sold a house that wasn't listed. Um, nice. And so at the end of March, as everything with COVID was unfolding and, uh, you know, the world was just blowing up with confusion, uh, we closed on our home, we moved, and about a week later, I, I left my job. I served my last day at my job so that we could focus full-time on support raising. Um, and honestly, at the time, you know, looking at it from an earthly perspective, we really believe that um, it seemed, like you just said, foolish. It seemed like a foolish time to do all of those things, and definitely not in my nature as a risk-averse person <laughs> to, to do all of those things. But thankfully, the Lord has better plans in mind. And um, since early April, the Lord has provided an additional 40% of our monthly budget needs. So we're now 90% funded in the middle of all of the craziness going on in the world, wow. God is still moving. And so Amazing. we just wanted to Amazing. give glory to him for that, first yeah, of all. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So 90%. 90%. So just a little, little more yep. and we can put you guys on a plane. Yep. So we, uh, our current bu- budget needs, monthly budget needs are about $900 a month. Hmm. And um, I mean, I first wanted to say that we have 55 people who have committed to partnering wow. with us, our couples. That's amazing on a monthly basis. And so we know that your yes, if you're one of those 55 people, is just as important, Mm -hmm. equally as important as our yes, that we we can't do this on our own and the Lord never uh, intended for us to do it on our own. And so we're just super humbled and grateful. Everybody that's partnered with us has blessed us and encouraged us and built Mm -hmm. our faith up. And so, um, you know, now, I guess we need that extra $900 a month, and that's what we're here for, is nice. to just say, would you push us across the finish line? Yeah. Would you consider partnering with us on a monthly basis? And that's amazing. Whatever that looks like for you, you know, what, 
Yeah. We have people, like I said, of the 55, they're anywhere between $50 a month and $500 a month. Wow. And so uh, we know everybody is in a different position. And, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. so here's the deal. So this has been an incredible faith journey as they have walked through this and, and we've watched them and, and the enemy has thrown things in their path and tried to distract them, but, but nothing, nothing has distracted them. They, they knew that they were called and they've continued to just move forward. And uh, I won't say there have never been bad days, uh, but they have continued to move forward and God has been faithful. And here we are, we're 90% and uh, we need to get them over the finish line. So what I'm asking you to do today is to pray. And if God puts it on your heart to help uh, with this $900 that they need to get them over the, the finish line and the, uh, onto the plane and headed towards Scotland, uh, there are a couple of ways you can do that. Um, if you're watching online today, their email address is on the screen. Uh, if you're here today, you, their email address is also on the screen. And uh, you can email them and say, hey, I'd love to talk with you. Or you could just email them and say, hey, I want to commit $900 a month. You could do that. Um, or if you want to talk to them, they, they will be in the foyer today. If, if you're you know, interested in talking to them in person, uh, they'd be happy to do that after the service. Uh, but like I said, if you're more comfortable emailing uh, and even getting a phone number from them so that you can call them later, uh, then do that. But let's, let's pray, do what the Lord tells us to do, get them to Scotland ASAP, all right? Mm -hmm. Let's pray for you right now and uh, just believe that God's gonna make this happen. Jesus, you're, you're so faithful and uh, you have uh, shown up so incredibly uh, during this journey. We know that you have big things in store for them uh, on the other side of the pond, and uh, we thank you for that. Uh, we pray for the Fraley's as they prepare, and we pray for the Thomases as they finish what they need to do here so that they can, can go there. We bless them today in Jesus' name, and we believe uh, with all of our heart that uh, very soon we'll hear back from them. We're, we're, we're 100%. It's done. So bless you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Bless you. Yeah, okay, great. Super. All right. So uh, we've been talking for the last few weeks about going deeper uh, with God. And uh, one thing I want to say about that is that it's just a perspective to understand is that um, your deeper experience of God is for you, okay? Your deeper experience of God is for you, but uh, God gives you that deeper experience of himself so that you have a deeper expression of God, and your deeper expression of God is for others. And so it's, it's not a, an either-or. Uh, we're not just choosing to go deeper with God because we like the way it makes us feel. Uh, we're, we're choosing to go deeper with God because uh, we want to give to others, and we want to give to others a, a deeper expression of God. So we've been talking about that, going deeper with God, and today I want to talk about uh, some of the things that Jesus did in order to take his disciples uh, deeper. Uh, you can find these practices and these uh, things uh, that, that Jesus did with his disciples in any of the four Gospels. So if you go in the four Gospels and just start reading, you'll, you'll immediately begin to see 
the things that Jesus did and, and the way that he led uh, his disciples. Today, I'm going to focus on the Gospel of Mark um, because it's my favorite. Uh, so, um, I preached a message in 1998 in Athens that was entitled Things That Jesus Said, and it was going to be one sermon, and it turned out to be a series of 30 sermons because apparently Jesus said a lot. And uh, I, I told my wife this week that as I was preparing this message that, that it felt like that. You know, it felt like, okay, you know, I thought I was going to preach one message on things that Jesus did to take his disciples deep. And as I began to, to get into it and, and to read, uh, I realized there's so much. He did so much, and, and I want to talk about all of it. I, I don't want to just hit the high spots. Um, so I told her that, and I said, you know, this feels like the things that Jesus said thing that lasted 30 weeks. And then last night, um, I got a text message Right, right before I went to bed, I got a text message uh, from a friend who lives in Tifton, Georgia. And this text had a picture with it, and it was a picture of a page of sermon notes that his wife found in her Bible and uh, had just found it yesterday. And this, across the top of the, ser the sermon notes, it said, October 28th, 1998, Tom Tanner, Things That Jesus Said, Part 9. So I looked at that and I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I don't know. I'm going to hit the high spots today and get us started. I don't know how many weeks. Um, Kurt Miller's preaching next week, so you get, you get one week of reprieve. And then, who knows, you may get 30 weeks of things that Jesus did. And so um, we're going to jump into that today. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll start. Uh, Jesus, you did so much, and you continue. You continue to do so much. And uh, I pray that you will speak today. Uh, I want to talk about you, and so I pray you would just speak for yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. In Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 17, Jesus says to Simon and Andrew, uh, come follow me. That was his invitation. Come, come and follow me. And if you do, I'll make you into something. I, I will make you into fishers of men. Je Jesus had a plan, uh, I believe, for Simon Peter and for his brother Andrew and for all of the other uh, people that he called to follow him. He, he had a plan for them. Uh, during their time together, there were things that he taught them, and there were things that, uh, places that he took them, and there were things that he gave them, and there were assignments or missions uh, that he sent them on. And, and so today, like I said, I want to hit uh, a few of the high spots, and then hopefully we'll, we'll come back in the weeks to come and fill in some of the gaps and, and talk more in detail. So first of all, there, there were things that Jesus taught them. Jesus taught them, and, and primarily what Jesus taught the disciples was about the kingdom. He taught them about the kingdom of God, and he actually taught them, you know, how it works, and he taught them how to have value for it, uh, how the kingdom of God works and how it's different than the world and how they could have value for it. And one of the first things that he taught them was to repent and believe because 
In order to embrace the things of the kingdom, you, you have to change your way of thinking. And to repent actually means to change your mind about something and also to go in a different direction. And so that's what Jesus was saying when he said repent and believe. He's saying stop believing this way, stop thinking this way, and start believing this way and thinking this way. And that, and that should result in a turn or a change of direction because the kingdom of God is both a way of thinking and a way of living. Uh, it, it doesn't fit this world. The kingdom of God does not fit this world. And so in order for us to embrace it, we have to change our thinking. We have to change our direction. Actually, in Mark chapter 8, we see an example uh, of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, this is the passage. We've talked about it a couple of times lately where, where uh, Jesus asks them, you know, who do people say I am? And Peter uh, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and he gets praised for that. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. My father told you that. But then right after that, Jesus tells them, I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter rebukes Jesus uh, for saying that he's going to die. And this is what Jesus, this is Jesus's response to Peter. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of the world. And so at this point, Jesus is saying to Peter, you're not thinking like the kingdom, you're thinking like the world. And that is part of what Jesus is teaching uh, the disciples, and it's part of what he wants to teach us, is a different way of thinking. Uh, Jesus, one of the ways that he used this was parables. Uh, Jesus taught so many parables about the kingdom of God. He would start a, king, a parable with the kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom of God does this or in the kingdom this happens. Uh, in Mark chapter four, he teaches about seeds and soils and, and basically uh, this parable of, of seeds and soils illustrates the necessity of changing your thinking in order for the seeds of the kingdom to take root. Uh, Jesus gives examples of that. He says, you know, the seed falls here, but because of the cares of the world and, and, you know, thinking about the things of the world rather than the things of the kingdom and caring more about the things of the world than the things of the kingdom, the seed can't take root. And so, again, he's teaching us that if we will change the way we think and change what we value and change uh, what we respond to, then the seeds of the kingdom will begin to take root in our heart and a change in life will occur. So he taught them. That was the first thing I would say. Uh, Jesus taught them primarily about the kingdom, but in order to take the disciples deeper, he taught them. He taught them a way to think and he taught them a way to live. Uh, secondly, he took them to places that required faith. He took them to places that required faith. He, he put them in a boat and it happened to be a boat where there would be a storm. Now, the, if you study the, that area, you know the likelihood of a storm coming up quickly was, was pretty high. Uh, but we also know enough about Jesus to know that he just knew stuff, right? And so I don't think he was shocked or surprised that the storm came. And in fact, you know, we, we marvel at the fact that Jesus was sleeping during the storm. Well, I think 
That may have been on purpose as well. Uh, Jesus goes into this boat, takes his disciples, they get into a place, there's a storm coming, Jesus goes to sleep, goes to sleep and the disciples panic. Uh, he puts them in a place that requires faith in order to teach them about faith. Uh, he, he takes them also to the house of a person whose daughter has died. Why would he do that? He takes them to a place that requires faith in order to demonstrate for them and teach them about faith. Uh, he also uh, takes them to a mountainside filled with hungry people. Think about this. He takes them to a mountainside. Huge crowds come to him. He, he knows that's going to happen because it happens everywhere he goes. Huge crowd gathers on the mountainside, and they're hungry, and Jesus says to the disciples, feed them. He takes them to a place that requires faith in order to teach them faith. Now, I say that to say this. If you never go with Jesus to a place that requires faith, guess what you'll not learn? You'll never learn faith. The Thomases could come back up here right now and say, we've, we've learned a little bit about faith. When you let Jesus take you into places that require faith, you'll learn faith. Uh, Mark Nicewander used to say that faith means uh, getting into the place uh, where you're in over your head, and if God doesn't show up, you're in trouble. And I would say that, you know, we talked last week about the water. We talked about the river, and we got ankle deep, and we got knee deep, and we got waist deep. And, and it's really only when you get to that place where it's deep enough to swim that you need faith. Because as long as I can stand on my own two feet, as long as I can stand on my own two feet, what do I really need God for? It's when I get in over my head and I have no control over my circumstances that I really need God. So he also took them to the home of sinners. He took them to the home of sinners to teach them how the kingdom of God responds to those who are outside of the kingdom of God. And, and you'll notice that every time Jesus is in the home of a sinner and the disciples are there with him, he is expressing the love of the Father to them and the acceptance of the kingdom, the invitation of the kingdom. He also uh, took them to the synagogue. Don't, don't miss this. You'll, you'll read over and over and over uh, in the Gospels where it says that Jesus and the disciples went to the synagogue, as was his custom. Or when it came time to go, they went to the synagogue. They were regularly in the place of gathering. Uh, going to, as we would say, going to church uh, was important to him. It was a part of his pattern. It was a part of his lifestyle. And he showed the disciples his value for that as a way of expressing to them that they should have value for it. Now, later on, we, we see how they incorporate that value in the birth of the early church as they meet on a regular basis together with believers to share meals and to pray uh, together and to teach uh, the things to each other that he taught them. Another thing that he does is he gave them. Uh, so he, he taught them, he took them, and then he gave to them uh, he gave to them his time and his love and his wisdom. And then finally, uh, we know uh, he gave to them 
his spirit. Uh, He said to them, actually, it's better for you if I leave. It's better for you if I go away because the Holy Spirit will come, the promise of the Father, and live in you. So he actually gave to them the spirit of God uh, that had operated in him during the whole time that he was on earth. And then, of course, the fourth thing he does is he sends them. And uh, he, he sends them a couple of different times. One time early on, he sends them out in pairs to preach repentance, uh, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. Now, just imagine, if you can, uh, that's another example of Jesus putting them in a place that required faith so that they could learn faith. So they've been watching Jesus do these things, and then he says one day, okay, here we go, uh, field trip. Everybody's going out. I'm staying here. Uh, pick a partner, and here you're going to go, and you're going to preach repentance, and you're going to cast out demons, and you're going to heal the sick. That's all. Just do those three things, and then come back and tell me about it. And that's, he sends them out. Uh, you talk about, we talk about, you know, teaching people by throwing them in the deep end of the pool. And that's, that's what Jesus does right here. He puts them in the deep end of the pool. And, and he says, sure hope you can swim. So he sends them. Now, all four of those things are, are important things. And uh, those are all things that I want to come back to uh, and, and talk more specifically and in more depth about. But, but today, what I want to talk about is the pattern of his life. Uh, the pattern of his life. Uh, because I, I think that this is important. And I think it's really important to us. I think it's important in the world uh, that we live in. Uh, we've talked before about this divine rhythm that Jesus lived with. Uh, Jesus lived his life with a sense of divine rhythm. And uh, Eugene Peterson used to call the relationship of the Trinity a divine dance. And so it's this interplay between Father, Son, Holy Spirit that that he talked about as a divine dance. Uh, Honestly, as simple as I could put the rhythm of Jesus' life, it's as simple as this. He listened to the Father and he did what he said. He listened to the Father uh, and he did what he said. But I believe if you look closely, and I would just challenge you this week maybe just to read through Uh, the Gospel of Mark, because I believe if you look closely, you'll see a pattern in the life of Jesus. You'll see uh, the life that he called his disciples into, and and I believe uh, the pattern that he has for us uh, is a key to being able, hear me, being able to go deep and not drown. Because that's important, right? We want to go deep, but we don't want to die there, right? We don't want to drown. We just want to get in the deep water. We want to you know, experience the deep water and explore the deep water. We want to swim around in it, but we don't want to drown. And so what, what is it that we can find in his pattern of living uh, that provides for that? And, and here's what I would suggest. If you read through uh, the Gospel of Mark in particular, you'll find... Jesus in large gatherings, and then you'll see him in small groups, and then you'll see him alone. And then you'll see him in large gatherings, 
and you'll see him in small groups, and you'll see him alone. And I believe that that was actually an, an intentional pattern for his life. I'll give you some examples. In Mark chapter 1, Starting at verse 21, we find that Jesus and the disciples are in the synagogue. And then in chapter 29, we see that he goes to Peter and Andrew's house. And then in 32, huge crowds come. And then in verse 35, early in the morning, it says he went off to a solitary place by himself to pray. In Mark chapter 2, people gathered to hear him preach. And there's so many people that the four guys, you remember, who have a friend who's paralyzed can't get him in the house. That's how crowded it was. And after that, after ministering to those people and after healing that lame man, Jesus retreats to a lake. He goes to a lake to get away. People follow him. And so after he ministers to them at the lake, then he goes to Levi's house. In Mark chapter 3, we see him at the synagogue again. There's a huge crowd, and after ministering there, he withdraws and takes his disciples to the lake. Now, some of you, after the sermon, you're going to want to go buy a lake house, and that's not the point of the sermon, but uh, he does go to the lake a lot. So he withdraws, and he takes his disciples to the lake, and people come, and you know what he does when the people come? He gets in a boat. He gets in a boat and goes out a little bit, so that he can actually teach them without them pressing up against them. Then in verse 13, it says, Mark 3, 13, it says he chooses the ones that he wants and he takes them to a mountain. So he goes from the big crowd and then he takes a few and he goes off with the few. In Mark chapter 9, he leaves, he's ministering to a huge crowd and guess what he does? He leaves and goes to the lake. In Mark chapter 5, uh, he gets in a boat, and he crosses the lake to get away from the crowd. In chapter 6 of Mark, he's in the synagogue with a large group on a mountain after that. And then in verse 46, he sends the disciples on ahead to the next place, and he goes off by himself to pray. In Mark chapter 7, he's with a large crowd. He leaves the large crowd and goes to someone's house. And then in verse 24, get this, he goes to another house after that, and he doesn't want anyone to know where he is. This is hard for some of us to think that Jesus would hide. But sometimes he did. Sometimes he was not available. I'll get to that in a minute. In chapter 8, large crowd, and then after that, he's alone with the disciples, and then after that, he's with a large crowd again. In chapter 9, he's with Peter, and he's with James, and he's with John, just the, just the four of them, and how they have some time together. And then in verse 14 of chapter 9, he's with a large crowd. In chapter 28, he goes to somebody's house, to another house. And then in verse 30, get this, Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were. Crazy. Chapter 10, with a large crowd in someone's house, alone with the disciples, and then in a large crowd again. So 10 chapters of that pattern. And so let, let, me, let me explain to you what I, what I think it, it means. Jesus did a lot of ministering to large crowds. How many of you have done that? It's exhausting. 
It's exhausting. Uh, Jesus did a lot of ministry to large crowds. Jesus spent a lot of time in people's homes. He did. He spent a lot of time in people's homes. Jesus intentionally found time to be alone with the 12. He intentionally found time to be alone with the three, and he intentionally found time to be alone with his father. And so there were times, apparently, they were regular and and somewhat often, where Jesus was not available to people. Do you know why? So he could be available to people. If you want to go deep and not drown, you have to learn the rhythm of life. You can't do, 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 do all the time. You just can't. If the pattern of your life has no place where you can say no to people or things, you're going to get in trouble. You're you're going to get to a place where you feel like you're drowning because you can't be at every event You can't fill your life with doing, doing, doing. You must make time for prayer. You must make time to be alone with the Father. You must take time and be intentional about investing in the few. You must make a regular part of your pattern of life resting. Resting. Every one of us should have a couch in our office so we could take a nap, right? I mean, Jesus was in the boat sleeping because he liked to take naps. He rested. He didn't just go, 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 go until he played out. So we have to be intentional. You can give to the crowd at the appointed time if you take care of yourself in the time of preparation leading up to that. So doing, and this is is the main point of what I want to say today, is that your doing must be built on a foundation of being. There are a lot of things to do. And uh, you can start right now doing stuff and never run out of things to do until Jesus came back. Seriously, I mean, there's literally that much that needs to be done. But you can't live that way. And and Jesus didn't even try to live that way. I mean, we've read through just 10 chapters and we found at least two places where Jesus says, I don't want anybody to know where I am. And for some of us, that's a hard thing. Because some of us, quite honestly, believe that everybody needs to know where we are all the time. Especially people that we're close to, we feel like they need to know. They need to be able to get in touch with us at any moment, any time. Because if they ask us, you know, for something, we're going to be there. And yet Jesus said sometimes, now don't tell anybody where we are. Let's just go over here and don't tell anyone. And if he chose to do that, I, I have to believe that there's a really good reason for it. And if he wanted it, shouldn't, shouldn't we want it? I'm not suggesting that you not do. 
I'm suggesting that if we will give a priority to our being, if we will be intentional about having time alone with the Father, if we'll be intentional about having a smaller group of people that is a very life-giving group of people that we can intentionally spend time with in a home somewhere, then we might not do as much, but what we do will do better. It will have more impact. It will have more lasting effect because our doing has to be built on a foundation of being. Your doing comes out of your being. Your being doesn't come out of your doing. Okay? All right. So in weeks to come, we'll dig into some of these different things a little more deeply and uh, our, our goal in this is to have a deeper experience of him so that we can give a deeper expression of him. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the way you love us. And uh, thank you for being so intentional with your disciples and so intentional with us. And uh, we pray as we go forward that we would we would have a deeper and deeper and deeper experience of you and that we would give to others uh, through a deeper expression of who you are in us. In Jesus' name, amen.